mention it. Yeah. with kevin and dane i am dane and i am kevin <laughs> how are you doing i'm doing pretty good doing pretty good how having a beer at 1 p.m that's egregious no it's not it's a it's p.m so it's it's allowable yeah but what, what like when did you have your last coffee um i woke up early today okay so i woke up Mm, eight. So yeah, okay. I had coffee at like eight thirty. Had some coffee. You just had just had the one. Yeah, I just had the one. I the, one the one today. Rode yeah. that one out, and yeah. then you know the slow descent <laughs> into the afternoon <laughs> with the fucking beer. Hey, but you know what though? The crazy shit about it was, I I didn't want to get like too hyped up on the caffeine before recording. So I you didn't want to like, get too hyped up. Nah, nah. Because I've done it before where it, it may not have like come out through the audio. No. But the, you know, the sort of jitters, the caffeine jitters yeah. shit I was dealing with. So I was like, uh, I can knock back the beer, you know, L- for the let PM. Me just, I'm going to provide some context here to the to the listeners Mm-hmm. When I met you, Kevin, at work, right. the first day you had you came into the office, we went out to lunch across the street. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was on my heavy, like no drinking tip. Mm-hmm. But you were, it was like your first day and sort of status quo culture of that office we worked at was like, you go out to lunch, you get a drink. So I was like, okay, even though I'm kind of on this no drinking tip, let me just get a beer because Kevin mm-hmm. is new. I'm meeting Kevin. You say, oh, I'm not a big drinker either. I haven't had a drink in X amount of years or whatever wild right. shit you said. And right. I was like, oh, okay. But you did have a beer. Mm-hmm. And then since then, you're back on the fucking drinking tip. Well, when I said that I didn't have a drink, I was really referring to liquor. Like I don't drink, I don't drink hard liquor. Oh, is that what you meant? Um, this yeah. sounds like some relitigation. No, not really. It was just, <laughs> it, it just may not have been as clear. But, um, but yeah, I don't drink, I don't drink liquor anymore. I I was a heavy, heavy like liquor drinker. Okay. And so I stopped drinking that. Um, beer, the beer is, is sort of you know. It is some petty bourgeois, you know, craft beer, snobbery shit, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's part of it now, um, admittedly so. It's tasty. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's delicious. (laughs) It's it's wonderful. The the one that I'm drinking right now is is pretty good. This isn't this isn't my my go to is Founders. Founders Mm -hmm. anything they can fucking put mop water. 
yeah, in a, yeah, yeah. In a bottle, and it's probably going to be good. <laughs> but this uh, this river horse shit is pretty hmm. good. It's like a, a Belgian Belgian style ale. Hmm. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not a porter. Fucking Bro, you, you, have to, <laughs> you, you have to you you have to develop you have to develop a. It's just like when know, is the occasion for a porter? Like what, the, like I will say like okay, really like the porter the porter is a is is definitely a winter right that's what that's I was a, about that's to a say winter that. beer yeah. like I'm open to having my mind changed about porters but like I'm not about to be like oh hot day hot summer day oh no 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 no, no. let me go get this like thing that tastes like a chocolate bar yeah and that no. probably has like <laughs> as much fucking calories as like a fucking turkey dinner in a bottle of beer yeah. No, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't fuck with it right now. But yeah. wintertime, like, come, really, it's the fall, fall and winter, fall, fall okay. and winter. Yeah, yeah. Then you'll see me with the, with the founders <laughs> breakfast stout. <laughs> These names are egregious. Right. The, the the breakfast stout is 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 one that's that's up on the list. Um, the dirty bastard. I've heard of that one. That one's it's a, a Scotch style ale. That one's really good. It, it's a bit heavier than than what I'm drinking right now, but it's not uh, it's not like a porter or anything like yeah. that. So you might you might actually enjoy that one. A darker beer that you might actually fuck with. And we'll start doing some beer some beer reviews. Oh no, for sure we have to. That'd <laughs> be hilarious. We have. To. Um, okay, but we should say for the main segment of today's show, we are talking about economic inequality, and really, we're talking more about two dope philosophers' views on mm-hmm. um, economic inequality. Of course, the inimitable John. Jo- Is it John Jocks Rousseau? Jean Jacques. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, obviously hugely influential philosopher of human nature from the 18th century. And then we're talking about Harry. <laughs> some, people Harry- attribute, some people attribute some like egregious fascistic shit to Rousseau as well. Really? Yeah. Damn, yeah. He's, he's getting taken down too? Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, and then, yeah, to and Rousseau was talking about uh, Rousseau was speculating about the origin of of inequality. And then, uh, for a more contemporary text, we're talking about Frank Harry Frankfurt's um, essay on inequality, where he talks about not so much the origin of in- economic inequality, but what we should be concerned about vis a vis economic inequality. He basically argued, well, yeah, we'll get into it. But yeah. before that. So a couple weeks ago, I no. Did, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. let me just let me, let me just hit him with the with the with the intro, and then I'll clear the way. So a couple weeks ago, I came with this little Elon Musk presentation that sort of morphed into a discussion about coming with more kind of monologue ish, but produced content, and we're going to start doing that more in opening segments. We're going to have more produced op editorial style monologues in the opening segment and with that said i'll i'll kick it over to you oh that's fire because (laughs) this is like this is something that you don't even know about yeah i switched it up last okay (laughs) 
because I, I, I think I'm saving what I was initially going to talk about. I, I, I think I'm going to hold on to that one because it's actually going to morph into a much larger <laughs> okay. takedown. Yeah. But today, um, my sort of opening commentary is what I've seen over the past couple weeks, last week particularly, was this uh, now we're in this this moment of the acknowledgement of Black Lives Matter. Specifically, the acknowledgement from major corporations, mm -hmm. right? Um, corporations, fashion brands, you know, sort of everyone who has some sort of consumer incentive, um, they've, they've come out and they've made their their statements and all of that. They did the black box uh, a couple mm. weeks ago yeah. mm -hmm. and all of that. And I was I was kind of okay with all of that. I was like, whatever, you know, you kind of got to do it for PR. But this last, I say, week and a week and a half, I've seen all sorts of fashion brands dropping the Black Lives Matter in racism merch. And it's just been mm. like merch, merch, <laughs> merch, bro. And it's like, where did it become cool to like, or when did it become cool rather to really transform actual civic discontent, civic unrest, systemic critique into a product. And, and I say that knowing that this is a product, right? Like my very commentary on this being a podcast <clears throat> is in one way or another a product of this system, right? So I understand that. But it's a different sort of motive behind taking something and, you know, putting it on a T-shirt that says, in racism, I'm talking to you, Stussy, and this hurts. I was, I, about, I, was about, I, I was about to say, what, what, <laughs> what, what are some examples? Please enlighten me because, yeah, yeah. like obviously I've, I've seen – I've seen the the corporate PR statements and I've gotten a avalanche an avalanche of emails from mm -hmm. companies that I didn't even know that I had, you know, any affiliation with. I had no idea I had patronized, but like, you know, I bought a fucking shirt from X, Y, or Z company like 10 years ago. They still have my email in the database. They're like, right. Dane, you need to know where we stand. They're like, every, <laughs> right, every, right. every company. But so, so, so and yeah, other, part, than, other than Stussy, part, who is it? Who is it other than Stussy? Um, so it's been Stussy. It's been it's been some some lesser known streetwear brands. Um, I can't think of those off the top right now because yeah. it really. I, I mean, I I you know I follow a lot of streetwear brands. Um, I follow Hype Beast. Yep, all of that shit. So it's just like so seeing like just everybody sort of coming with like 
the in racism tees or the like revolutionary, you know, the the uh, black power fish joints and mm-hmm. just like it, it, it was just it's like how is how is something actually going to happen if all you do is just sort of allow it to be absorbed and made into a product and then that's it. It's just yeah. like, okay, well, here you can sort of buy your, you know, your uh, political outrage. Literally, <laughs> you can you can buy your uh, political disposition, and then you can, you know, wear that. And by you wearing it, and you're like, oh, I'm out in the world. People see that I have on this shirt or whatever. So clearly, they know that I'm against racism. <laughs> That's right. Hilarious. Like. I bought the I bought the Stussy in racism tea. Like clearly, clearly I'm about systemic change. Right. Right. <laughs> and so it's just it was just like while on the one hand, people are looking at this moment that we're in as, you know, potentially revolutionary and or or at least the potential of <laughs> the potential of revolutionary reform, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. we have to keep in mind that the revolution—it's no revolution without bloodshed. So, yeah, yeah. revolutionary reform. This is a moment of revolutionary reform. But I think that shit is being undermined. The more you see. These major corp, like the fact that Jeff Bezos is like Black Lives Matter and and he's posting his you know his fucking exchange with some bigoted fool and then he's uh, he has the Juneteenth banner on Amazon's website and shit right. and so it's just like the the sort of empty PR shit from from corporations was expected. The fact that then we've turned it into merch was a new sort of low in mm. giving something sort of like this cultural coolness that you can buy. Right. And well, <laughs> go ahead. Well, well, no, this is this. I mean, I feel like we've we've touched on this th- sort of thematically. We've touched on this throughout our uh, our burgeoning discog. Like, right. This makes, me think <laughs> of, this makes me think of our episode on fashion. But this also makes me think about what we talked about last time when we were talking about Naomi Klein, no logo, how brands are forced or incentivized to latch on to culture, to to lend to their brand um, an air of authenticity. But given the nature of branding, the brand ends up subsuming the culture that it's trying to glean authenticity from. And then the net result is that both the brand and the culture that it was trying to attach on are left uh, emptied out of meaning. So that's what I think of there. I also think of... um, It's sort of like real quick it, it yeah yeah it's sort of it sort of shows how the system self perpetuates like the fact that you are in like that we are in this moment where 
you're seeing like chants of defund the police and, and um, city councils actually, you know, defunding police. Colorado just, uh, they just uh, did away with um, the, uh, what is it? The, like the protective immunity. I, yeah, I don't I know. Saw, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're seeing like some actual shit happening, right? But at the same time, <laughs> you have these these brands that are then like taking that same energy and are finding ways to turn it into merchandise. Yep. And then turn and then sell that merchandise. And then and at that point, at the point of purchase, it's almost as if the the sort of political action that could have came from that energy right is now you know blunted by the fact that well you know i bought the shirt right like the fact that you could just that you could just wear something or you know oh because i bought this they're donating to so that was going to be my next question if if stucy is like okay 100 percent of the proceeds go to such and such organization does that change your no because it's like we're, we're talking about like so everything at this point has an industrial complex <laughs> right so we're we're talking about the nonprofit industrial complex at that point where you know a lot of these companies are giving to organizations that have names and in are you know maybe established but when you're really talking about the real work a lot of them aren't able to do that just based on their size right like you can donate to the NAACP if you want to but the NAACP is a massive national corporate i mean a national organization so a lot of that money is going to administrative shit right like in the same way that um that you know even like at this point even like donating to black lives matter is getting to that same level where it's like it's just massive and so now a lot of these funds are are going to administrative costs but the work on the ground is still being underfunded yeah and so it's like if if companies looked at it in that regard right like oh well let's give something to like actual grassroots organizations and shit like that then that would be dope yeah to me um but then that's also sort of counter to you know if you are giving it to grassroots organizations that's sort of counter to the ultimate uh purpose of these major corporations and shit like that, which is profit anyway. And so they, you know, you don't necessarily want to empower, uh, you don't necessarily want to empower these like radical grassroots organizations, but it's just sort of understanding like where money, where the money is actually going. And while the shit sounds good on its face, it's like snow that, yeah, that's, that's, 
that money that the proceeds from the T-shirt that you bought are, are more likely going to somebody's six figure salary than it is to, you know, helping pe- organizations on the ground really implement public safety measures so that they can decrease the presence of the police in, in you know, low income communities. So, so. And that was just, you know, that's just one example. Yeah. Uh, so I, the, I feel like this could open up into a gigantic, larger context <laughs> discussion. Right. But I mean, we can try to keep this as concise as possible. Do you think that um, brands or really anyone that has a public facing persona slash platform which really is anyone in the world that has social media, regardless of if you are a huge company or a huge figure or you just have three followers. Mm -hmm. Is there an obligation? Does this moment impose upon people with public facing platforms an obligation to speak out? Um, I mean, I've been thinking about that for a while, given this moment. I mean, I've been seeing memes um, from, you know, white silence um being being destructive to this whole thing with uh with no name and j cole i feel like it's all part of that discussion of what obligation do people individuals with platforms have to uh to speaking out at this moment i really think it's like this is more so a moment that you should be honest about your politics like yeah as opposed as opposed to as opposed to well this is you know this is sort of politically financially and socially efficacious to you know say black lives matter right yeah but you don't necessarily you know believe that or if you're indifferent to it Right. Like stand on that. Like then, you know what I'm saying? Like I, the the whole like the, the the idea of there being an obligation to speak out. Um, I wouldn't I don't I don't believe in that because not everybody's politics are the same. So um, so if you do believe like that systemic you know, that systemic racism and the manif- the outward manifestation of systemic racism vis-a-vis the police is, you know, a, a, a sort of microcosm of this deeper rot in America or in American society, then yeah, then you should, you should speak out and you should say that. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm more so like against the disingenuous commodification of that political stance. Yeah, yeah. I think you could make a case for um cuz on the one hand, I think that um obviously if stuff if something is disingenuous or you can read into it that a company or a person is doing something because like you said it's sort of politically efficacious or advantageous for whatever reason to speak out, then if you can see that, then it just comes across as 
gross. On the other hand, there is a sort of like damned if you do, damned if you don't, because ultimately you can cynically read any outward display of like solidarity or support with the movement as being motivated by reasons that the, you know, you deem not pure. I'm not saying that that's what you're doing mm. at all. And I actually, but I actually think that the idea of like doing something quietly, right. something meaningful quietly right. is actually more. That's more indicative. And, more, and right. more, it sets a better example because that, because I worry that like from a, from a, cause I'm, I like to think I'm sort of like my, my ethics are like I'm a consequentialist. Like I don't believe in any hard and fast universal rules of morality. I'm trying to do the the thing that maximizes the good for the most people, whatever that is. So like if if it turns out that the consequences of all these celebrities and brands coming out with these maybe hollow, maybe not statements about uh, their, their solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, but then the the backlash to that from whatever corner of society, it could be from middle of the country, right, right wing people that say these fucking phonies, like Mm -hmm. this isn't, they're doing this for the shine. This is some clout chasing bullshit. And then the message gets obscured. So, so yeah, I don't know. That's just a thought. No, I, 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 I would actually tend to agree with that. Um, Because yeah, I think that I, I too think that, whatever brings about the most good should be the move. And so in the sense that, you know, people are using their platforms to, um, to spread this message, whether or not, you know, it's like something that they really, you know, down to the bone marrow actually believe. Right. Um, But then it actually, you know, but then it brings about, some real, you know, change. Like, I mean, say, you know, like I, I look at like a Kim Kardashian, for example. Like, I mean, say what the fuck you want, but she got motherfuckers out of jail. Right. Out of yeah, yeah. Like you if you can show me that like, these, <laughs> these maybe hollow statements actually resulted right. in some, in some, right. in some, some positive good, change, I'm, some I'm all for it. Yeah, On I'm, the I'm other hand, it. if you can show me that they're, that these ho- Maybe they're not. I don't know. Whatever you want to call them, the jury can be out on whether or not they're they're genuine or not. But if you show me that there's actually like negative consequences from that, then I'm like, well, that wasn't the move then. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and that's in and yeah. And so I guess to your earlier um, distinction, I'm more so concerned about the these expressions of solidarity that maybe not even immediately, but at, but just with a, a small sort of sl- just a sliver of critical reflection, you could be like, this is some bullshit, right? Like this is yeah. literally just like, this is just to, maintain whatever sort of you know standing the brand has because Mm -hmm. they've made this calculation that well it this is going to be you know more cost effective for us to you know take this political stand or whatever as opposed to a to another or to just you know not saying anything at all 
Yeah. So and, and so that's that's really that's where my issue is. Um, I I do commend like that's why I say that's why I use the Kim Kardashian example. Like if you got some tangible shit, then you know more power to you. Like I can't yeah. like I respect it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you yeah. did something, right? So um so in those cases, yeah. But from what I've seen from a lot of these a lot of these brands has just been like this is the shit that's gonna be advantageous for us in the long run because yeah. our consumer base which let's be real are mostly white affluent white liberals whose yep. sensibilities are you know infringed upon based on this just sort of outward expression of racism and shit like that or whatever yeah. so if you show like, oh, I'm, you know, we're not like that at our company, then the, you know, large consumer base of affluent, you know, liberal whites will still buy up, you know, your $60 t-shirts. Right. Yeah. 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 I always think about it in sort of instances like this. I, it, I always think about the Bill Burr bit that wasn't actually about racism, but I think it was about like domestic violence. Mm-hmm. It was like really quick. It's like, He's talking about a billboard that's like it's, it says something like it's never okay to hit your spouse, and mm-hmm. he's like, okay, yeah, obviously that's right, but what is what purpose is that sign serving? Because if if some potential wife beater driving down the highway set, looks up and says, oh, okay, it's it's kind of the same thing with the fuck racism right. thing. It's like it's, right. it's really if you really think about it for a second, it becomes a hollow thing. And again, I'm, right because it's like how low is the bar? Exactly, like it's <laughs> low. It, fuck racism, like oh, like, oh yeah, right, that's yeah. Right. Of or, course, or like we, some we some it. like internet troll that like po like uses the n word and like flame like flames people and shit is like I'm changing my ways, right? Or, or you know, right. like someone right. that doesn't. What, whatever like whatever yeah, no no like, i mean it, it, okay. it it's like it's like it took trump for everybody to see how fucked up america was <laughs> basically like that's that's how I, I boil it down to that is because everything is sort of like it, all of america's flaws have been highlighted during the the era of trump and it's and it's been like oh like look at you know look at him as the sort of representation of all the shit that's wrong with the country. And it's like, it shouldn't have taken (laughs) Donald Trump for you to realize how fucked up it was here. But yeah, exactly. But that, that wraps up my bit. (laughs) Yeah. I got, I I got nothing to add to that. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I try to be uh, less, less cynical but i will say that the uh like i just always feel that like with uh with us with us whites (laughs) 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 there's always like the pendulum swings like too far and i don't mean too far that like all of a sudden like white people that maybe were blind to certain elements of like like what you said like this sort of american societal rot vis-a-vis racism like I'm not saying that the pendulum is swinging too far in terms of what people are calling for. I'm just saying, like, in terms of people's behavior. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The pendulum swings too far for us whites. All of it, like, it's like 
It's like mad people are ignorant and people have, who have never posted about anything race related are like and then this hits and now all of a sudden it's like white people are like fl- flat, like self-flagellating and shit like that. And I'm just like and then and then there's this also tendency of like it's a weird way that it becomes about white people. I don't know. I've seen that too. Like, yeah, like again, I'm all for it. I'm all for it, but like with like social, like social media activism and stuff like that. But then it's like, th- is this becoming about you? Like this is kind of becoming about you. But yeah. that's a particular type of white person because I'll say this and, and we can, we can wrap it up. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I'll say from experience, the, what I saw living in Arkansas for two years, right, was, and this is after obviously born and raised in LA, you know, growing up in South Central. So what I saw was the police fucking with black people and Mexicans. That's what it was. when I got to Arkansas and I started and I saw poor white people, guess who the police were fucking with? <laughs> so it's like, so that's why I said like, like these companies and everything, they're pandering to like a particular class of white people, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, it's like specifically white middle class, upper middle class. So that like white affluent liberal class that like I said whose whose sensibilities are you know infringed upon in some type of way by like outward expressions of racism and sexism and stuff like that and so we have to keep that in mind as well that like the police are there to police the poor so no matter yeah police the poor protect the protect the rich yeah Yeah, yeah. exactly and so whoever whoever that might be within a given town or municipality or whatever that's where you're gonna find the police if that if it's poor white people then guess what the fucking police are patrolling the poor white neighborhood if they're poor southeast asians then the fucking police are over there like that's that's just their function that's what they're there to do so we have to keep that in mind as as we talk like as this entire thing sort of expands and actually becomes a viable like political vehicle like you got to make sure that we put in the class component that then adds everybody else into it because then then you have no choice but to really enact some systemic change as opposed to like oh let's let's make some products and say that we're about black lives matter and you know we love black people and whatever and then in six months that shit's a wrap and we're back to the same shit so (laughs) yeah all right well, yeah. On the on the other side, we'll we'll be talking about inequality. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's take a little break and return. Yeah, for sure.
Welcome back to the Now That You Mention It podcast. This is the point of the show where we tell you to follow us. Uh, subscribe, no, not follow. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, mm-hmm. Review us, rate us. The reviews would be good. Give us more reviews. Um, yeah. Make other, make like burner accounts. Review us. Buy another multiple phone. times. Yeah, yes. like go onto your significant other's phone without their permission. Right. Subscribe. Manipulate the algo. Manipulate the algo however you can, however shady you want to be. Um, Whatever you can do, set up a phone bank, set up some kind of Set up a GoFundMe. Whatever you can. (laughs) Set up a GoFundMe. Yeah, take advantage of your parents who don't know anything about technology and just say you're going to do something and just subscribe to the podcast on their phone. Right. You know, do what you you need to do. yeah, and thank you to everyone who continues to support the show. I know. We appreciate you and we love you guys. We really do. We really do. Okay. We're talking about inequality. Our two texts were on the Discourse on the Origin of Inequality by Rousseau and On Equality by philosopher Harry Frankfurt. On inequality. So, on inequality. What did I say? You said equality. Oh, equality. Now, on inequality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So should we start with Rousseau? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Rousseau's, this was written in the late 18th century. Mm-hmm. Rousseau, obviously a foundational thinker in terms of enlightenment thinking, in terms of um, just philosophy of human nature. Yeah. All that and kind of stuff. enlightenment thinking insofar as he was writing during the enlightenment period. Mm, true. That he was, true. He was more of a critic of of the enlightenment more than he was like a, a staunch <laughs> right I, yeah he's just always grouped in with all the enlightenment right tasks. right right um and like if you take a philosophy of human nature course or intro to philosophy you're going to be reading hobbes rousseau right uh lock lock all yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, Rousseau's project is to like, as the title suggests to identify the origin of inequality, um, inequality in terms of wealth, power, social influence, political clout, uh, between individuals. And he starts off by saying that in order to understand inequality or where inequality comes from, you have to understand the individual. So his project becomes one of, trying to uncover the true status, the true nature of, of humans um, because he gets into this murky, murky territory of what is – how does inequality manifest itself? Is it in sort of inborn feature of humanity or is it something that results out of societal structures? And the conclusion he's going to come to is ultimately going to be that these grand discrepancies in terms of power um, are a result of societal institutions, not um, of sort of innate differences, huge innate differences in terms of human beings. Right. And he, the, the human nature part of, so the discourse is broken up into two parts. First, the first part is his, him sort of giving his, making his case for human nature, and and so that part, that part of Rousseau or that part of this particular uh, project, um, 
is sort of steeped in enlightenment objectives, right? Like this, we, you know, try this, this project of getting toward, you know, human nature, what is like, you know, who are, who are we at, at our core type? Exactly. Like trying to answer that question. So that's a, that's a particularly like enlightenment specific project. Yeah. Um, but part two goes into humans within the within society. So the development of of government, the development of social institutions, and how people sort of organize themselves, how humans yeah. organize themselves. And that's where he sort of diverges from most of the Enlightenment thinkers in in his critique of private property, which to Rousseau is the source of inequality. Yeah. And so the, the way he gets there, because in order to understand what Rousseau's basically main contention is as far as the source of inequality, we have to understand what he's saying about uh, human beings. So his basic argument is that man in the state of nature, which is Rousseau's language, at man at his core, human beings stripped away of all civilization or whatever. So yeah, what is Rousseau saying about man in the state of nature? He's basically saying that there are natural or physical inequalities, which are, as he says, established by nature, which would include such things as differences in age, health, bodily strengths, quality of mind, and so on. But that for the most part, man in his state of nature is basically equal as equal as any other animal that you see. Like you don't like what I thought about is like, you don't see like one squirrel out here with like mad of all the nuts. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like some squirrels are faster and quicker and smarter than others, but like, there's not like three squirrels that have like 99% of all the fucking nuts. You know what I mean? So like right. basically his Rousseau's contention is that we're like any other animal species in our state of nature, pre-society. We're just as basically on an equal playing field as that. And then there's another type of inequality which Rousseau uh, which Rousseau distinguishes from natural or physical inequality, which he calls moral or political equality. This is the this is the salient sense of, of inequality that he's gonna be talking about throughout the essay essay. And he says This type of inequality depends on a type of convention, which is, quote, authorized by the consent of men, end quote. And this would be like wealth, prestige, and and power. And he also says that there's no essential connection between the one type of power and the other, Um, which, I mean, he's not even fucking around. He says like – what does he say? He says, quote, there is no point in asking what the source of natural inequality would be. Dot, dot, dot. There is still less of a point in asking whether there would not be some essential connection between the two inequalities, for that would amount to asking whether those who command are necessarily better than those who obey, and whether strength of body or mind, wisdom or virtue are always found in the same individuals in proportion to power or wealth. He's basically saying, yeah, there are physical differences between us, there are natural inequalities, but that those natural inequalities don't really cash out in terms of power inequalities in the real world. like. Right. Obviously, well, in the we have a, in command, we have a, a commander in chief that has mad power, and he's a f- fucking goofball. So, like, he's right. all Rousseau is saying is that there's no inherent connection right. uh, between 
natural inequality and like the sort of power manifestations of inequality. Right, because I mean you need the you need the social institutions to to actually sort of bestow uh, you know a particular sort of um importance or significance to a certain type of power like that so which is which goes which he sort of leads us into when he goes into part two which is like people getting the fact that people agree to be organized in a society that allowed for something like the concept of private property just allows for the you know whoever becomes whoever's wealthy in that society to then buy their way into the four the four virtues of of uh what did he say hold on <laughs> he says he says that um wealth nobility power and personal merit that's what he that's what he says um are sort of like the differences between people but yep. he makes the point that, well, you know, now that we've organized ourselves in a society predicated on the ownership of private property, that the wealthy get to then buy nobility and power and rank. And then that that wealth and that nobility and that power that they bought then just reinforces this notion of personal merit. And so then it's just a self-perpetuating cycle that then creates this this societal gap that's almost insurmountable. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I think his conception of human nature would be, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is a question that's like, you know, that there are experts, biologists, anthropologists that can answer the question, but his conception of human nature of, you know, man as this essentially equal, relatively equal to all others and essentially not, od selfish mm-hmm. like he's basically say like i think his conception of human nature is super important to what he says about inequality he's basically saying that men in their humans in their state of nature are not all that self-interested they're self-interested but they're not self-interested to the point where they're going to need to amass mm-hmm. a, a, a wealth of shit to the detriment of everyone else so he says I thought this was sort of captured the crux of his of his argument in terms of human nature. He says, let us conclude that wandering in the forests without industry, without speech, without dwelling, without relationships, with no need for his fellow men and correspondingly with no desire to do them harm, perhaps never even recognizing any of them individually, savage man, subject to few passions and self-sufficient, had only the sentiments and enlightenment appropriate to that state. He felt only his true needs took notice of only what he believed he had an interest in seeing. So he's basically saying that also needs back then, needs pre-societally were, were, were basic. You know, no one, no one individual had any need to like amass prestige because no one get like we were in this pre-societal state. And so I actually thought that that was related to what Frankfurt will say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But anyways, okay, so let's talk about – I want to talk about uh, how pro- private property is is the foundation and basis of all, of all inequality. He says <laughs> – this was, this was dope. The first person who, having enclosed a plot of land, took it into his head to say, this is mine, and found people simple enough to believe him was the true founder of civil society. 
So how does so how does he get from that to inequality existing like writ large? <laughs> well, I mean, well, again, it, it's sort of he lays out the fact that once you once you have people simple enough to accept this concept that well, this is this is mine. This you know, if I walk away from this piece of land, this plot of land. Nobody's going to take it and, and whatever because they've understood it to be mine. Well, then essentially what he lays out through the entirety of part two is then how that person who who is able to get you to think that private property is an actual thing <laughs> then is able to continue to amass more property. Just based off, just simply based off the fact that they already have the resources at their disposal, and so that's why I said before, like he he shows how even back then in the 18th century, how this is a self perpetuating system essentially, like which is crazy that he pointed this out so long ago, and we're literally like thrown into the vestiges of the shit right now and we're like really seeing essentially what Rousseau talked about like even on a on a more massive scale than he understood I think I think what Rousseau gets most right is sort of the arbitrary nature of of inequality how certain things are rewarded uh disproportionately Mm -hmm. so he basically and he's he he also like we should say like he's sketching out the development of civilization basically right. he's talking about how you know the birth of private property um agriculture like labor led well, inevitably to this and but in yeah. the, there's this one passage i remember where he's talking about how He's, he was considering like the guy or the people that are you know developing agriculture and the people that are developing like metallurgy and he's saying like natural inequality like inequality started coming about just because one was more important than the other mm-hmm. you know what i mean so it's like a completely it it becomes inequality there is this sort of uh arbitrary nature to inequality like what is rewarded versus what's not right i i would say that that's like that's more attributable to modernity than it is sort of like civilization in mm-hmm. in general right like uh, because this notion and, and you can you know we can have our critiques of like pre-modern pre um you know capitalist pre-western you know liberal democracy or whatever right like in terms of monarchies and in you know, shit like that or whatever. You can have your critiques about it, but at the very least, um, the notion of private property brings us into modernity. Like it brings us into this like concept of liberal democracy, the the individual, like all of these concepts that prior to modernity prior to like let's say you know the french revolution to be real like in totality um 
that wasn't the, that wasn't the fucking real concept. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, cats, ex- obviously people experience the world as individuals, but their conception of the world wasn't predicated on their individuality. Right. And in, in order to even get to a concept of private property, you have to have people think of themselves as individuals because prior to that, we're talking about a collective society or a mon, a, you know, a, a monarchical society where it's like all of this shit belongs to the fucking crown or whatever. Um, or, you know, in a, it may be in certain um, African countries and shit you got, you have people who are living closer to the earth and more so like we're one with, you know, we have our, our, uh, our tribal bands and shit like that. So it's just, it's a way sort of like that people are conceptualizing the world around them. And I think with what Rousseau is talking about is, is he's showing how this shift into modernity, like technologically, philosophically, like everything sort of is predicated on this shift. That's like, this is mine. Like it, something so simple as like this mm-hmm. belongs to me, right? But also, but mm-hmm. also, society creates the the conditions to be pursuing wants that might not be most authentically your own, right? This discre- oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah, discrepancy yeah, yeah. between the pre societal state of nature, where people's basically, according to Rousseau people's needs were not that complex. They were easy to meet. People were Mm -hmm. easily satisfied with the, with the introduction of societal concepts such as the individual, but like things like prestige standing in the community and private property. Now you have people that are operating according to those incentives. Right. Right. But that's why I said like you, but you still need the, the concept of the individual is foundational. Like that's you need that in order to even for all the other shit to even make sense. Yeah. Of like yeah. personal prestige and in, you know, private property and the like. So I think that's why I said like I think with him he's he's really showing like even prior what like whether that's his intent to show like that this is the sort of shift in, you know, from pre from you know, pre modernity into modernity. Um, is this sort of idea of the individual in, in private property and that sort of like I mean shit we like I said we're still like living within that concept now yeah and so yeah and he hits on how with private property just inequalities just become calcified which without, exactly. without a, a concept of ownership of anything Mm-hmm. that's not possible. But then he talks right. about, you know, inheritances and stuff like that. That's even like, you can, you can almost like throw in some, like po- some post-structuralist like lingo and be like the, even the, con- like the concept of private property always already predicates <laughs> yeah. inequality, right? Like the fact that it just it inherent, it is sort of inherently self calcifies basically right like the fact that just because you have this shit now you get to sort of reap whatever rewards from the land and then you can get that to invest in 
in expanding that into more land and then that could be into be whatever it is. So it's just like that concept in general is like once you get some, you off to the races. Yeah. And that's sort of the goal in and of itself is is the expansion of of private property, yep. of private ownership. All right, that's Rousseau. Yeah. Oh, and then the, go, the, go, go. The, the last thing, the last thing about like modernity and the whole concept of private property um, is we have to bear in mind that slavery as a mode of production was rationalized and justified during the Enlightenment and sort of undergirded through this concept of private property. People like the fact that you, you know, you have it the during the enlightenment, this fact that you could just rationalize and reason to, you know, whatever you can make sense out of whatever situation it is for a particular end. Slavery was reasoned as the, the move <laughs> for societal uh progression that's why i think like being black like i have a sort of inherent critique of capitalism because my ancestors came into a capitalist paradigm as property and so it's just like you when you look at that's why that's why i'm like i'm super sympathetic to um rousseau's argument that private property is the the bedrock of of inequality because my ancestors were fucking private property at as, at one point and so and the enormous you know amounts of wealth that was built off of that shit is crazy so it's just like yeah like that that's clearly it's a clear argument for for Rousseau, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, let's. I, you transition to Frankfurt. I can't. Say <laughs> no, you transfer. I, I can't you, say anything after that. Are you kidding me? You transfer. Passed me the ball at that. <laughs> Come on, yes. bro. <laughs> yes, yes. This is this is this is. Uh, you you white you white people have to get off of uh, the the like. You know. The race shit is is too touchy. Yeah, you can follow that up. Yeah, but like, yeah, but like, <laughs> to follow it up with like a with like a okay. Now we're gonna move on. Yeah, that I'm I'm giving you permission to say <laughs> okay, move on. <laughs> All right, okay, Frankfurt. Frankfurt's really asking the question: Why we're appalled by economic inequality? And he's kind of got a he's got a controversial. I don't know. He's got a hot take. It's a hot take. I would mm-hmm. say. And he's basically saying that economic inequality is not morally objectionable in and of itself. And he's the real thing we're responding to when we're appalled, for the most part, he's generalizing. But the real thing we're responding to or the thing that we ought to be responding to when we're confronted with insane statistics about wealth inequality and we just see it around us and stuff like that is not the fact is not the inequality in and of itself it's that there are some that have far too much while there are others who don't even have enough period 
So basically, Frankfurt is saying that numerical inequality should not be distressing in and of itself. Inequality, I, I said, I meant. The real thing that's distressing is that there exists wealth inequality while there are so many people in society that don't even have enough to get by. So basically, he's saying our main focus shouldn't be inequality. It should be about raising the floor and eradicating poverty. And he, he, he makes a number of arguments, but I think to boil down his argument, he's saying, look, if everyone was equally poor, we wouldn't be happy with that. So this is showing that inequality in it, equality in itself is not necessarily a moral good and inequality in itself is not necessarily a moral bad. The morally objectionable thing comes in when there is inequality while there are people that are poor. Another way he says this, you flip it, we don't get distressed about Jeff Bezos having 144 billion and then, you know, we're not bugging that there's some upper class family that lives in the Hamptons that has like 10 million or whatever. That doesn't distress. What's distressing is that there there's this wealth inequality while there are so many people that don't even have enough money to to get by. They don't have enough. What did you think about? What did you think about Frankfurt? <laughs> the Frankfurt the Frankfurt was interesting. Um, so he's making he's he's essentially making the equity argument, like. It, yeah, that, that you're like the, the Jeff Bezos and the, you know, upper class affluent family that lives in the Hamptons that's worth 10 mil are they they at the very least have equitable lifestyles. Right. Like it's, it's just certain shit that they that they're able to do that they have access to and shit like that. Um, so. So he's he's basically making the claim that like. Yeah, like you said, raising the floor, and I, I get it. Um, I guess like trying to make the claim that, or the argument in and of itself to me was sort of strawmanish, in the sense that I don't think that it is a moral question. I don't think inequality is a moral question. I think it's a political question. Like hmm. I, I think how we decided to organize our societies is how is where where you know inequality comes into play as opposed to like i think moral questions are you know it's fucking walking up and slight you know slashing somebody's throat is that you know morally reprehensible or some shit like yeah that i think that's that's more like shit like that is in the realm of morality or like should you um I don't know. Should you? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I just think that that how we've decided to organize our. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I think he's I, in in that respect. I actually think he's making a pretty radical claim that he's saying. Maybe it's not that radical. I don't know. He's saying poverty in and of itself that we allow poverty to mm-hmm. exist is morally objectionable. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and so that, but that's, that's where I was like, so in the, in the first part, in part one, Frankfurt is um, laying out like why inequality isn't, you know, morally reprehensible in and of itself. Yeah. 
And that's what that that's the part that I was critiquing was I think that asking that question, like, is it morally reprehensible? You know, because it comes down to political economy, whether or not, we, you know, people are poor, what like how shit is being made and distributed and all of like those are political economic questions. And I think to critique or to ask a question of how we organize ourselves on that basis, because you could be as more like the Jeff Bezos could be the most morally upright person personally. Right. But the fact that he's operating in a system that allows him to have a hundred, you know, 40 something billion dollars. And then there's widespread homelessness isn't really a question about Jeff Bezos morality. No, but I don't think he would say it. I don't think he would say the locus of morality is Jeff Bezos. He would say the locus of morality is the I, system I think he's that talking about the act. The, I think he's talking about the state of affairs such that Jeff Bezos, so Bezos having having that 144 but, million while however crazy percent whatever crazy percentage of American you know, live paycheck to paycheck. That situation, that state of affairs but, is but in know, and of itself morally right. objectionable. Okay. Right. Which is which I agree with, right? Yeah. But that's still I don't I don't think that's uh I don't I didn't really get him calling for a sort of like and I mean and I guess you can just be led into calling for a reorganization of society based on Frankfurt's claims, right? But that's, I guess, the part that I'm more so focused on is like, yeah, we, I guess the the moral reprehensibility of somebody having so much wealth while you have homelessness, I think is a given. So then why are we operating within a system that allows for something like that? And that's the political economic question that, I think I'm more so looking for than I am whether or not it's, you know, whether or not the system is morally reprehensible. Like, we, yeah, of course it is. This shit is it's obviously it's fucked up. It's obvious that it's immoral <laughs> on, based on that alone, based on the Jeff Bezos example alone. So now what's the where's the political economic question like how do we how do we break out of this paradigm and i think that's where like i'm more so that's what i'm i'm looking for right, right. well i th- well i think he would the re- i think the reason if you ask that to him what he'd say is that i'm writing this because the doctrine of what he calls economic egalitarianism which it may be true that a lot of people are like you, like you said, like we know that's morally objectionable. And Frankfurt would say, yeah, okay, great. If you know that that's morally objectionable, that's fine. I would, I mean, I don't, I'm sure there are a lot of people that think that that way, but I think there are probably a lot of people that are saying, nah, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, that's real. That's real. but, But he, but, but he's, but I think he's arguing against what he calls economic egalitarianism, which he says is the doctrine that is desirable for everyone to have the same amounts of in- income and wealth. And he's Frankfurt is really, really like 
razor sharp with his words. Like every word that he uses matters. And he's saying that he's arguing against that because he says that that belief can actually be harmful. The belief that everyone ought to have the same amount of money actually, according to his analysis, feeds into the system of inequality. Because he's basically saying that to the extent that people are concerned with economic inequality, their readiness to be satisfied with certain amounts of money are not determined by a careful examination of what they really need and want, of what desires are most authentically their own. It only has to do with the amount of money that someone else has. So it is, can, it, I think it can be construed as a systemic critique as well as an individual critique where as societally we're inundated with this idea that if we're inundated with this idea that everyone should have the same amount of money, then we're not going to be happy until – like. I'm not going to be happy until I have as enough money as the guy above me. And so he he's talking about how this is perpetuating inequality. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that part? I thought I really identified with that part. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly how the system uh, continues, right? Is like this this pursuit of the next man, you know the next person above you essentially and when you think about the root of inequality laid out by Rousseau in that this is just a a self-calcifying process then the cats with money are only looking at the the nearest cat above him like Bloomberg's like I gotta have more money than, than Warren Buffett like and that's that's sort of like where that game is while everybody else is left to fend for themselves with the scraps essentially like yeah it, you know really real in in to your point like to your reading in terms of this could be seen like as a systemic critique when you said that i thought about the fact that like what private property has established and the wealth that comes from the establishment of private property and all of that, what is established is a system, is a two-tiered political system. So you have like the the sort of performance of Western liberal democracy for the masses, like, oh, you go out and vote and you can, you know, you have free speech, quote unquote, and you can uh, protest or whatever. But then it's like, straight up like socialism for the rich or the wealthy like all their shit is protected like they have unlimited access to the state um yeah so uh, so oh shit so yeah so i would i would agree with frankfurt on on that tip that that it is it's like a it's just a self-perpetuating system do you think i think Okay, question. Do you think he's right? He's saying at numerous points throughout this essay that when we are appalled, when we read that Warren Buffett, Bezos, Gate, Zuckerberg owns whatever percentage wealth, you know, in the world or whatever, while they're he's saying that the thing that is appalling us even if we don't know it or even if we would claim otherwise the thing that's really animating our concern is not the numerical inequality 
it is the fact that it's the numerical equality overlaid on top of the fact that there are people that live in in poverty that don't have enough so the counterfactual would be those inequalities could still exist but if there were no poverty if everyone according to the doctrine of sufficiency which he says means everyone has enough would that sort of alleviate the level of of outrage is the thing we're responding to an inequality not the numerical inequality but the fact that people have so much while so many have so little yeah it's the latter i would say yeah yeah it's the latter because i mean it's it's lived experience so you know uh the rockefellers or jp morgan had you know an enormous amount of wealth compared to the average american in um in the early 20th century or late 19th century right that number doesn't look like the numbers today you know jp morgan probably you know i i don't know i don't have the numbers in front of me but it, you know in in those dollars it was probably like 50 million which would have been like what the like somebody one cat has 50 million but like we're looking at it today and jeff bezos has 140 something billion to himself and we're responding to that number in the context of our current economy but it's it's the acknowledgement of the impoverished it's like yo like i walk past you know two or three homeless people on my way back from the bodega last night but one cat has 146 billion to himself so you're responding to that lived experience um which is which is like whenever you're talking about economy you have to you know or economics rather you you have to like keep that in mind where you have the economy vis-a-vis the stock market and then you have the real economy vis-a-vis workers and labor and so you know like right now you'll see like oh the economy is you know is back up or whatever but you still got 40 million people out of out of work <laughs> so it's you know yep so i think we're responding to the shit like that we're respond we're responding to the latter the lived experience part so yeah, yeah I, he, I, frankfurt I, also had some bars in there where he was like he was like when he's talking about how what people are not really appalled by are the in- inequalities themselves but really the poverty he has some he has some line about how i take my claim to be true because after observing people who claim to care about you know economic equality or egalitarianism but they could carry on with their lifestyle like he had some little jab in there right. and i was like right yeah. right yeah. it's that especially it's that like that's the other thing about the system too is is that within this concept of like private property um private ownership social mobility like all of these these ideas that we've created with the advent of of modern society um you see that like 
really the people who have a little bit of privilege within the system are the ones who are the staunchest like defenders of it because they see that they have a chance at some inkling of social mobility where they get to then like, you know, participate in, in the true elite type shit. And so like, yeah. so yeah, like the cats that Frankfurt is, you know, walking past at Princeton or whatever, they aren't like wall street business elites, but you know, they make us a couple couple key investments here and there you know what i'm saying some certain shit is like then yeah and so the the it's crazy like the shit that you sort of have to turn off in your brain in order to justify really like upward mobility within this society within consumer society in general and like what that entails is pretty crazy yeah, and I think in that way, Rousseau and Frankfurt are actually responding to the same thing. When mm-hmm. Frankfurt says that this belief in economic egalitarianism leads to like not considering your own wants and needs, in the same way, Rousseau Rousseau's dichotomy of like pre-societal man being easily satisfied by things, but then with the advent of private property being insatiable. Mm-hmm. Is they're sort of responding to the same thing. So here, I'm I'm going to quote Frankfurt, and maybe we can we can wind it down. But Frankfurt says, "A preoccupation with the condition of others interferes with the most basic task on which a person's intelligent selection of monetary goals for himself most decisively depends. It leads a person away from understanding what he truly requires in order effectively to pursue his most authentic needs, interests, and ambitions." exaggerating the moral importance of economic equality is harmful, in other words, because it is alienating. It separates a person from his own individual reality and leads him to focus his attention upon desires and needs that are not most authentically his own. And that is where I full stop agree with Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Like this, it's it's almost like it's almost like the the ideology that undergirds all of this is really the shit that's inescapable like once you once you're able to tap into like really critiquing that and then finding way because shit i don't know what the what the solution to this sort of this you know because now we have like we're, we're thinking like we have national ba- borders or whatever, but we're literally living in a global society. So like what is equitable within a global society when you have to account for like so many different contexts based on, you know, where some, where people are at. And so I, you know, I don't purport to have the answer no, to that, no. but, um, but I do wholeheartedly believe that like the shit that we that we currently live under is fundamentally flawed. And I think that's the part that like that's super dope about reading Rousseau in, in Frankfurt 
is dope, but then it's also like disheartening that you see like how far, you know, how far we haven't evolved in order to address this inherent inequality that comes with this, like, you know, this modern Western liberal democratic society. And so, um, so yeah, so picking up, picking up Frankfurt in, in he, him basically almost acting as a, as a, a continuation of Rousseau in that sense was, was pretty dope. All right. All right. Yeah. This was, this was a dense one. I know it was, it this was. was a dense one. We'll make sure the next one is a bit lighter. A little more airy. Yeah. Yeah. A little airier. Yeah. Well, yeah. if there's any, if there's anyone still fucking listening, thank you. For <laughs> right. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah, indeed. All right. Peace.